All right. Good morning. Well, as, uh, as Pastor Bart said, uh, I'm Scott Shoup. I'm the, the youth pastor here at Fullness, and we are currently in a series called The Voice, from the, taken from the TV show The Voice. Last week, Pastor Bart spoke on uh, hearing God and His Word, and next week he's going to be talking about hearing God and His Spirit, but today, in the middle, uh, we're going to be talking about God's voice, hearing God, and His people, hearing Him in the context of His his people. Let me pray really quick that we do hear the Lord. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that you are already here. You've been moving among us, and we ask that you would continue to give us ears to hear what you are saying. Would you glorify your son in Jesus' name? Amen. All right. Um, Imagine with me for a second that uh, you are, are adopting a child from a country that, that does not speak English. Okay, I know this is actually um, reality for certain families throughout the history of, of fullness, but um, imagine for a second that, that you are adopting a child um, from a country that the native tongue is not, is not English. Now, what would be the best way for this, this child, let's say it's a young child, that, that you've adopted, what would be the best way for them to learn the language of their new family that they've been adopted into? You can speak back to me. Interaction, yes. Basically, being with their family, learning the language of their new family by being with their family. Uh, who here has been to a country, another country, uh, where the, the primary language is, is not English? Anybody? Quite a few. Um, so those who have been to, to other countries where the native tongue is not English, you know that what is the best way to kind of lick, to learn, to pick up the, the language of that country? T- to be around the, the native speakers, the ones who know the language, right? To, to spend time with them. Well, the Bible talks kind of in those terms that we, because of the gospel, because of Jesus, have been adopted into a new family. God is now our father. Uh, we live in a, a new country, so to speak, the country of the kingdom of God. And so the idea works, works also that for us, that the best way to learn the language of, of our new family, to learn the language of our father, the best way to learn the language of the new country that we live in is by being among the people of our new family, our new brothers and sisters, the, new, the people who live in the country with us. You guys know probably the the familiar story of creation, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, uh, when God's creating the the animals and and the different parts of creation. And he speaks to the animals briefly. But when he gets to to Adam, the first human, the first man, and Eve, he speaks to them in a different way from how he speaks to, to the animals, the rest of creation. He starts having dialogue, communication, interaction with them. And the, the idea there, the premise is that, uh, as, as Paul David Tripp says, that we as human beings were created to be revelation receivers. We were created to be revelation receivers. But not only that, when, when God creates man and he says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helpmate. He creates Eve, brings her to him. And he tells him what? He tells him to uh, be fruitful and multiply. So the idea is, as human beings created in the image of God, not only are we meant to be 
revelation receivers, but we are meant to be revelation receivers in community, in relationship with other image bearers of God. So with that kind of that premise, that's kind of the big idea today. With that premise in mind, I want to look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22, the passage that Amy just read, and draw three, three or four principles on hearing God in the context of his people. And we're going to look at the, the very beginning of the passage, we're going to look at the very end of the passage, and then we're going to kind of look at the, the middle of the passage. And then I, I want to kind of close by, by briefly sharing a little bit of uh, kind of my personal story as it relates to this, um, kind of as way of pastoral reminder, if you will. So here we go. Number one, hearing God's voice happens in the context of community, as I've already said. Happens in the context of community. Verse 12 of this passage, Paul says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters. Verse 14, he says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters. Paul is clearly talking here to to the church as a whole. And it would be so easy for us to skip over these two little phrases here, brothers and sisters, but Paul is not writing to an individual. He's writing to a community, a local body of believers. He says actually after, in verse 27, after the passage we're looking at today, he actually gives them a charge that this letter be read aloud before the whole, the whole body. And that's an easy point to miss, but it's very, very important. Throughout history, throughout church history, there have been what, what we might call um, mystics. Uh, people who would kind of go out and live in, in the wilderness or maybe live in a monastery and would primarily commune with God just one-on-one, just kind of me and God. They might interact with other people a little bit, but primarily it's just, it's just them and, and God. And we kind of romanticize their experiences a little bit, um, but that's not really what we're, that's not how we're meant to do life. Now, don't hear me saying that that Quiet times with the Lord are not important. I believe those are very important and essential. And personal times of retreat, getting away with God, like, like Pastor Bart did this last week, is, can be very helpful. But as far as like our everyday life, that's not how we're meant to live. Technology today, um, technology is incredible that you could, you could actually be at home and through the internet, you, could have, you would have access to literally thousands of amazing sermons, uh, art, amazing articles, classic books. You could, through your Kindle, through your iPad, you could have access to all kinds of books. You could never have contact with another Christian in person. And being an introvert like I am, sometimes that's my temptation uh, to, to live like that. But that's, that's not how we were designed to live. Um, millennials, those really in, in my generation, 20s, 30s, we tend to, at least according to statistics, really tend to kind of struggle with this, this idea that we're meant to do life in, with, with a local body of believers. Because stats show that a pretty big chunk of millennials don't believe in doing life with, with a local body. But really, that, doesn't that play into to the enemy's plan when we isolate ourselves? Because one of the things that... that the enemy is described as is, is a, a roaring lion prowling around, seeking who he may devour. Has anybody ever seen, like, Discovery Channel or YouTube videos of, of how lions hunt? Do they go for the animal that's in the middle of the herd? 
No, they're going to they're gonna try to isolate an animal, try to get him separated, or they'll go for one that's already isolated, and then they'll, they'll bring him down. He's a lot more vulnerable that way. So in, in the same way, when we try to hear from the Lord, completely separated from each other, from the community of faith, it can lead to dangerous places, potentially. And I know, because I'm, I'm an American, too, it's, it's very easy to read the New Testament through our 21st century American individualistic lenses. Like, okay, this applies, just, this is just me, me and my relationship with the Lord. And that's, that's how we oftentimes read this. But most of, the, most of the New Testament letters, including 1 Thessalonians, are written to, to the church, not just to an individual. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, really would not have even been able to conceive of the idea of a Christian who was doing life not connected with, with other believers, just doing life with him, him and the Lord. David Platt, the, the president of the International Mission Board, uh, he says in, in regards to this, he says, to identify your life with the person of Christ is to join your life with the people of Christ. To surrender your life to his commands is to commit your life to his church. It is biblically, spiritually, and practically impossible to be a disciple of Christ, and much less make disciples of Christ, apart from total devotion to a family of Christians. He goes on to say this. This is amazing. He says, we never once see the New Testament addressing followers of Christ who don't belong to a local church. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying just because you become a member of a church, you're automatically saved. He's not saying it's salvation through going to church. He's saying that the New Testament model, the biblical model, is when we come to Christ, we come to his church. We are united with each other. So if that's, if that's true, if we're meant to hear God's voice in community, what keeps us from choosing to hear God's voice in community? Well, I think many reasons could be given, but to me the two main ones are these two. And it's self-sufficiency or, or pride, kind of the attitude that says, well, I don't need you. I don't need you to help me hear from God. I'm good on my own. And then fear. Fear of maybe, uh, maybe fear of, well, if, what if I hear wrongly from God? And will they reject me if, if I hear wrongly from the Lord? Or maybe if they see all my junk, all my mess, they'll reject me. But isn't the gospel a community founded on the gospel like we are? Isn't that the answer to these? Because the gospel... Is, is the idea, it's the truth, the message that, yes, we are messed up. Yes, we do have junk, even after the Lord saves us. He comes and gets us out of his grace and his mercy, as we already read about today. But he doesn't leave us there. But when a community has tasted of the grace of God, they're going ha- to have that grace flowing outward to each other. And so actually, the body of Christ, the church, should be the safest place to practice hearing the voice of the Lord. Henry Blackaby and Claude King in their book, Experiencing God, they say this, going on this, the same premise. They say, apart from the body, you cannot know God's will for your relationship to the body. Without the eye, the hand does not know where to touch. Without the ear, the body may not know when or how to respond. Every member needs to listen to what other members say. If the members are not talking about what they sense God is doing 
the whole body is in trouble. Number two, hearing God's voice happens in the context of a community of expectancy and discernment. Not just community, but a community of expectancy and discernment. Going to the end of this this passage, Paul says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Or other translations may say, do not despise prophecies. He says, but test them all. Hold to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Apparently, there was a temptation in the church here in Thessalonica to have contempt for for prophecies, to despise them. If if the church in in Corinth, you know, we recently finished a series in 2 Corinthians and a few years ago, there was a series in 1 Corinthians. And if, if one of their temptations in Corinth was to kind of take their passion for the spiritual gifts and kind of run a little crazy, kind of run off the rails a little bit, the church in Thessalonica could have possibly been in danger of falling off in the other ditch and saying, well, we don't want to misuse hearing God's voice and spiritual gifts, so we're just going to despise it. We're going to shut it off. And that's... That's, uh, that's what Paul is, is addressing. Now, I, I know that if, if Paul says don't have contempt for prophecies, there must be a temptation to, to have contempt. And uh, I, I, I speak this as, as a son of this church who grew up in the charismatic world. Um, there are times that, that prophets can be a little weird. They can be a little odd, a little strange. They can say odd things, and they can say things that may, maybe even are harmful to, to an individual or, or the body. And um, John, John Piper, uh, Pastor John Piper, tells a story of, uh, he's, he's retired now, but back when he was pastoring his church, he, uh, and his wife was pregnant with their, their fourth child. And uh, he said, actually, he'd been preaching on this, this topic of prophecies and hearing from the Lord. And uh, he said, one day a woman from his, his church, from his, his uh, congregation, came up to him, and uh, she said, she said, Pastor John, I, I, have a, I have a hard word for you. I have, a, I have a tough prophecy for you. Pastor John said, okay, what is it? And uh, she says, um, your, your wife is, is pregnant with, with a girl. With your, she's going to have a daughter, and she's going to die in childbirth. Can you imagine getting a word like that? And... John Piper says he, he went back to, he thanked her, said thank you for, for that word. He says he went back to his, to his office, got down on his knees and just wept before the Lord. He said, God, what do I do with this? And he goes on to, to tell that uh, when a time came for his wife to, to give birth, uh, she gave birth to a son, uh, not, a, not a daughter. And uh, actually he's grown up now, has kids of his own. He's writing books of his own and, and uh, his wife is still alive. She's still married to him. And uh, he tells that story because he says there are times when we can be tempted. We, we hear, we might hear a prophecy misused or somebody gets a, not, doesn't quite hear right from the Lord. And so we, we say, well, I'm just going to have contempt for prophecies. I, I, I know people personally that have, have friends that uh, have, have had bad experiences in, in charismatic circles in, in the past and still carry wounds from it. And we all know that there's many churches today that, they kind of take this attitude that we're just going to shut off. We're not going to believe that, that the Lord still, still, still speaks prophetically to, to his body. 
But that's not Paul's pastoral counsel here, is it? Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's not what he says. He says, well, actually, commentator Gordon Fee, um, he comments on this, this passage. He says, rather, the antidote for abuse is proper use. I think that's really wise advice. The antidote for abuse, for those who may want to abuse hearing from the Lord, is not to have contempt. It's, it's proper use. There is a middle path without falling off on, on the ditch to either side. Notice that, that Paul's presupposition in this passage, his presupposition is that God is going to continue speaking. He doesn't say, uh, well, eventually prophecies are going to end. Um, you know, if, if, if there happens to be a prophetic word, this is what you were to do with it. No, he, he's saying test prophecies. He means they're, they're going to happen. He's expecting the people here at Thessalonica to hear from the Lord. And to, to not have expectations, to, to have contempt for prophecies, is really to miss out on much of what, what God would have in your life of, of you to experience. Uh, I could probably ask for a, a show of hands and we could have testimonies. I'd, there's probably almost everyone, maybe everyone here could give testimony of prophecies given in your life that have been really encouraging and life-giving. And I'll just share one briefly of, in, in my life. This was uh, from a few years ago, back when I, was, I wasn't married yet. I was living in Texas, working in Texas. And uh, it was actually at my birthday. And um, my, my, my sister, my brother-in-law, who live in Kansas City, they... Uh, when they were kind of wishing me happy birthday, they, they felt like they had a, a word for me, really more of a, a word picture, and uh, they said they saw me holding a, a, a megaphone, a loudspeaker, and uh, addressing a group of young people. And at the time, I thought, oh, well, that's cool, because that summer I was, I was going, I, I spent the summer in, in Glorieta, New Mexico, working a, a youth camp, and was with hundreds of kids over the course of the summer, and actually did use a megaphone that summer. Um, so I thought, oh, that's, that's cool. That was kind of confirmation. But even now, a few years later, it's even cooler to kind of look back and say, well, now I'm, I'm, that's what I'm doing is I'm doing ministry, getting to minister to the young people here at, at fullness. So it's neat to look back and be encouraged by that prophetic word. <clears throat> so, so what about you? Do you expect to hear from the Lord? Do you expect that you can hear from the Lord? When we gather together, do you expect that other people are going to hear from the Lord? I confess that too often I don't walk with the expectancy, the level of expectancy that I should. But Paul would say, you should. You should be a community of expectancy. But not only that, but we're also to be a community of, of discernment. Uh, Paul says that the proper response to, to hearing from the Lord is not to have contempt for prophecies, but he also doesn't say we're to just fully embrace any and every prophetic word ever given without hesitation, right? No, what, is, what does Paul say? He says that we are to test them all, hold to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Um, so we're to, we're to hold fast to, to what is good for the individual or the body and to, to reject what is not. And this is very similar to what Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians 14, where he speaks of the body weighing prophecies that, that are given. He says, uh, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully 
what is said. So it's the same idea. We're to, we're to test, we're to weigh, we're to examine for their truthfulness when, when we and others feel like we're hearing from the Lord. Now this implies, does it not, doesn't it just logically imply that, that prophecies are, are different from, from Scripture? Because I, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't take this and say, okay, I'm going to flip to, the, to the, the, the book of Isaiah and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test I'm going to test Isaiah, and I'm going to hold to what is good. I'm going to reject what is evil, or with the Gospel of John, right? No, we don't, we don't do that, because all Scripture is, is God-breathed, is breathed out by God. But you and I, even after we've been adopted into this new family, we still have, we still have our flesh, right? We still battle with sin, and we still are capable of, of not quite hearing what, what the Lord is exactly saying. So we're to, we're to test and by the way, it's important to realize that this command to test, to examine, is not given to a select group of Christians, kind of a, a super spiritual class. No, the idea is it's, it's all of us. We are all to be growing in our discernment as we, as we learn to hear from the Lord. And again, the implication is we're, we're to be hearing God together as a community, helping each other discern what God is saying. Now this should raise, the ob- I think it's an obvious question, is how do we judge? If we are to, to test and to, to weigh, how do we judge a word from the Lord? And here, uh, I, I'm, I'm borrowing, I'm just going to lay it out there, I'm borrowing from, from men, other men who are older and much wiser than me, uh, a pastor named Sam Storms and a New Testament commentator, Gordon Fee. And uh, so I'm just going to quickly go through four tests uh, for, for testing uh, a prophetic word. And number one is, is we test against the scriptures, the, the scripture test. Second, sorry, Second Thessalonians 2.15, easy for me to say. Uh, so then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So the idea there is that we hold to the apostolic teaching tradition um, that, that were given in scripture. Uh, and we, we, we test, that's the ultimate test, is we test by scripture. And the reason why well, that's the number one test is really that all the other ones are going to come out of this. They're all going to flow out of, out of this test. Number two is the edification test. The edification test. We measure them by their tendency to edify and build up other people. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, uh, says, But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So we ask, is this... Is this building up? Is this edifying? Is this strengthening? Or is this tearing down? Next is the love test. The love test, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, says, If I have prophetic powers but have not love, I am nothing. So we test, is this prophecy being given by, this is a little more subjective because you can't quite know a person's heart, but as best we can, we seek to discern, is this being given out of a heart of love for the person or the people who it's being given to? And then lastly is the community test. Community is essential. And the idea there is we go to the more mature, the, 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 the veteran believers, and we, we, test, we ask them to help us test and judge and weigh what is what we're hearing from, from the Lord. Number three, Number three, hearing God's voice happens in the context of not only a community of expectancy and discernment, but a community of love. 
happens in a community of love. This is really the, the, the meat, the heart of, of this passage. And uh, Paul gives 12 commands here in only seven verses, just kind of like rapid fire, just one right after another. And I'm just going to kind of run quickly through them here. Really, all of them could be a sermon by themselves, but I'm just going to fly through them. He says we're to respect and esteem very highly and love our, our leaders. We are to, to live in peace with, with each other. We're to, the idea of warning the idol, we're to encourage active involvement. We are to encourage the disheartened. We're to help the weak. By the way, I think a specific application of that could be uh, those who have been wounded in the past by their experiences with, with charismatic circles. And rather than just kind of looking down our, our nose and saying, well, they're just wrong. They have wrong theology. Well, maybe they're just weak in that area. And we can, we can help them along to experience God more fully. We're to be patient, long-suffering with all. Uh, we're to not repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. We're to live a life of, of joy, live a life of prayer, and to live a life of thanksgiving. Now notice that this little teaching of Paul, right after this on how to handle prophecies, how to handle hearing from the Lord, happens in a context. Hearing from the Lord, in other words, doesn't happen in, in a vacuum. It happens in a community that can be described in how Paul just spoke in these last seven verses. So a prophetic ministry in the local church is one where the, the congregation and the individuals in the congregation can be described in this, this way. It's a community of love for God and for, for others. But then that means that the opposite is also true, right? A unhealthy prophetic ministry in a, in a local church is one where the people can't be described in this, this way. So imagine that you got someone or maybe a group of people who are doing the opposite of these things that Paul has just said. Imagine you've got someone who is not respecting, not loving their leader, their leaders. They're not living at peace with others. They're not plugged into the body. Um, they're very inward focused rather than helping the weak. They're, they're complaining. They're joyless. They're prayerless. But yet they're seeking to hear from the Lord and speak. They're, they're probably going to do a lot of damage to the body, to the people in the body. So another way to quench the spirit is not only to, to have contempt for prophecies, but it's to not live in love, which is a fruit of the spirit. So part, part of growing in hearing the voice of the Lord in amongst his people is growing in these other areas. So this is a great checklist, a great thing to do this week. We did just be to, to kind of compare yourself a little bit to, to this, this passage and say, God, can I be described this way as, as how Paul describes these people? So what are, what are some practical ways to to practice hearing from the Lord and discerning the voice of the Lord. I have a few here, and I've tried to make these as, as practical as I possibly could. Uh, practical ways to hear God's voice among his people. Number one is, is uh, join an E3 group. You probably could have guessed that I was going to get to there at one point today. Uh, but 
yeah, we, at, at Fullness, for those who are new, at Fullness, we, we call our small groups E3 groups. And that just comes from really our, our vision that we want to, it's three E words. We want to encounter, experience, and expand all of who God is, the fullness of God, where we get our, our name also. And, and we believe that, yes, we hear from the Lord as a larger congregation here on Sunday mornings, but we also believe that that even more fully happens in, in smaller groups throughout the week. And, and uh, you may say that, well, it's, it's October now, and the group started at the beginning of September, so it's too late. It's not too late. We still have sign-ups in the foyer. You can go on our website. You can talk to me or Pastor Rich. Um, the best time to join an E3 group is now. Uh, and that's a great place to just practice hearing, hearing from the Lord with other people. Number two is, is uh, talk about the Sunday service at lunch. When you, when, uh, on a typical Sunday morning, when, when the Sunday service is over and, and we're released and we're, we're let out, do you completely forget everything that happened on the Sunday morning? Or a great, a great practice is over lunch, because everyone's going to go eat lunch, is to just ask somebody, hey, how did, how did the Lord speak to you today? Did he do it in, in the, the songs or in the message or during ministry time? How did he speak to you? And we can help each other discern and, and walk in, in applying what we, what we heard that, that morning. Number three is uh, practice. Basically just practice having a mentality. Lord, what do you want to say to me for somebody else in the body? Who here was, was part of uh, this, the summer, this summer Wednesday night series, Empowerment Through intimacy was were you encouraged through that did you feel empowered I did um and really that's kind of what we did really just all summer as we got together and um, we would spend time practicing hearing from the Lord for for each other and that doesn't have to just be a what happens in one series that can just be normal life it's a mentality of practicing expecting hearing from the Lord Number four, talk to older believers. We have, we have some very godly, um, more seasoned veteran believers in the Lord here at Fullness. And uh, so you can find somebody who you respect their walk with the Lord. You know they've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And you can say, hey, over the course of your life, how have you learned to hear from God? What does it look like in your life to, to hear, practice hearing from the Lord? And then lastly is uh, be in the Word. And this is more has to do with discerning, growing in discernment. But if, if the number one test, really all the tests for discerning comes out of the Word, how are we going to be able to do that if we're not in the Word? So spend time studying, meditating on, on the Word of God. Now, I know, because I, I know that's how I would feel, um, and you hear a, 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 a passage, a text preached with... Um, I think there are 17 commands here that Paul gives in, in like 12, 11 or 12 verses. That can be a little overwhelming to just go through a passage with just, just straight, like, okay, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And you can just feel kind of burdened, like, oh, my word. Um, so it's very important to remember that you can only follow God's commands because of who you are. Earlier, in this chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul says some things over the church in Thessalonica. Um, he basically reminds them who they are. He says a few things. 
And this is, by the way, this isn't just for them. This is us. This is our identity too. You are children of light, children of the day. You are destined by God for salvation through Jesus. And Jesus died for you so that you might live with him. And then he says in verse 11, the verse right before the passage that we've been looking at, he says the word, therefore. So it's, it's a linking, connecting word. And so I, I like to call these, I like to look, when I'm reading especially the New Testament, I like to look for these kind of verses, and I call them identity verses, identity passages, verses that are just speaking who we are in Christ. And the idea there is that you obey the commands of the Lord because of who you already are in, in Jesus. And the point is, if you, if you try to obey apart from knowing who you are, you're going to be very, very frustrated. And that's really kind of part of my, my personal story. Um, there was a time a, f- a few years, several years ago, where uh, I, was, I was seeking, desiring to experience the Holy Spirit more fully. I, I, I was already saved. I knew the gospel intellectually at least, um, and I was desiring to, to hear from the Lord and walk in the spiritual gifts, um, but I was doing it apart from knowing, from really knowing my identity in, in Christ because of the gospel. And so I was, I was basing my acceptance before God and even before other believers really more on performance, um, kind of how I was performing in, in the spiritual gifts, if that makes sense. Um, and so I would, I would compare my experience of the Holy Spirit with so-and-so's, and if my experience didn't look just like theirs, the conclusion that I drew was, okay, well, I must be inadequate. I must be second class. There must be something wrong with me. And it was, it was frustrating. It was, it was exhausting, frankly. Um, and I was like, I don't understand, because I, I know that, I know that, Life in the Spirit is supposed to be life-giving. So why am I, why is this not very life-giving to me? And it's only been, as the Lord has had me on a journey that He still got me on, of Him opening my eyes to see more clearly the beauty and the glories of the gospel and of my identity in Christ because of the cross, because of the resurrection, that I've been able to expect to hear from the Lord, walk in, in the Spirit in a more healthy way. And I've, I'm so convinced that this is absolutely essential to our lives. We're talking about this in, in youth this fall. We're, we're talking in, in Galatians. And we're talking about how our identity is shaped by the gospel. And the idea is if you separate the commands of God from the gospel, you will wind up with, with legalism and frustration. But the commands, when they come out of who you are, then they are life. Then they are, then they are a blessing to others. You don't obey in order to become children of God. You obey because you already are children of God because of Christ. You've been adopted through, through Christ. So, hearing God's voice happens in the context of community. It happens in the context of a community of expectancy and discernment and in a community of love. And it's so important to remember who we are in Christ because of the gospel. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. God, I pray that if anything I've said today is not of you, God, help us even today to discern, to test, and if anything I've said 
is not of you, and it may it fall aside, but um, I pray that we would be a community that is expectant, that, that believes that you do still speak to your people, and that we would not just listen for ourselves, but we would listen so that we can bless others, that we would help each other to discern, that we would live in love with each other. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.